Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. He joins me now. Hey, Keith. Good morning. Let's talk a little uh, preview of uh, something that's coming up a little later in the show. At 11.30 this morning, mm-hmm. there is an announcement on tourism assistance from the B.C. government. This will be Premier John Horgan. And whenever he's out, you know it's a high-profile announcement. Also, Tourism Minister Melanie Mark. Mm-hmm. And I want to play a, a short clip here for you of Melanie Mark, the Tourism Minister, on this morning with Simi. And she kind of hints here, listen closely to what she says here, kind of hinting at what's coming here later this morning. Have a listen to this. I can tell you that um, it, it is in support of, of major tourism attractions, uh, both in our, our urban communities and our rural communities. Uh, definitely a call to action uh, through our tourism task force uh, that the Premier put together uh, in the fall. So it's an exciting day, and I know that it will be a much-needed relief for, for folks in the tourism sector. Okay, so help for tourism attractions, including in urban centers, does that mean the PNE? I would think the PNE would be eligible for this. My understanding is it's going to lay out a uh, the criteria for organizations and, and uh, such to apply for funding. This is a $100 million fund. The PNE is looking for at least $8 million in right. bridge financing. Um, so I think they'll set the criteria. The, I think the PNE will be eligible, obviously. I don't see yeah. why they wouldn't be. But, you know, will the Cloverdale Rodeo be eligible? Probably. Uh, Science World, perhaps, Fort Steele, Barkerville. You start going through the anchor. These are called anchor attractions, and I think there's a significant number of them. They're not going to get all the money they need, likely, because it's $100 million. But um, I think there's a lot of organizations looking very uh, eagerly to forward to see exactly what the rules are. And she also mentioned they're urban and rural. So you could see help from maybe, I don't know, local small-town festivals or attractions. Well, there's as a well. lot. Of, as a kid, I played the rodeo circuit on a traveling yeah. carnival. <laughs> I can tell you, there's a lot of local fairs that are very important to the communities. Williams Lake Stampede, for example, um, you know, you just go through all the small towns in, in British Columbia. These are big events, and they're big economic generators. They're employers, uh, particularly of young people uh, in particular, who uh, this is their summer employment, and, of course, that didn't happen last year. It's not probably not going to happen to the same degree this year, but these organizations need some sort of funding to allow them to continue to exist next year. We're not going to see a bunch of you know rodeos and carnivals this year. That's not going to happen, but... You're going to see uh, organizations say, well, we want to survive enough uh, to, to next year. We need some sort of survival uh, seed money. Okay, 11.30 is when that announcement's coming. We're going to bring you that live later in the show. This is a government that's been criticized for not helping out the tourism sector effectively. And, and just recently, we saw the cruise ship industry mm-hmm. begging for help, especially after the United States uh, uh, politicians there introducing legislation in the U.S. Congress to bypass British Columbia ports. Yeah. So you could see cruise ships sail directly to Alaska, not stop in Vancouver, not stop in Victoria. Well, And I think Horgan has dropped the ball on this thing. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to what Horgan said just a couple of months ago, he said, oh, this thing won't even get off the ground. He called it a blip. 
a blip, and he said it won't even pass the U.S. Con- it's unlikely to pass the U.S. Congress. Just passed unanimously in yeah. the Senate, and it's unfortunate because uh, it, just it's been a recent phenomenon it, in Victoria here, for example, as you and I know, the cruise ships come here, and downtown is absolutely flooded with thousands of uh, passengers on a regular basis, and it's just it's revitalized the downtown core of Victoria. Uh, pre-pandemic, and if this thing disappears forever, that's a that's a huge body blow. It's nothing but gravy. I mean, people get off, they spend money, and then yeah. they just leave. And then the ships also fuel up, and they bring on supplies. I mean, it's just millions of dollars on it, these cruise ships. It's a huge industry. It's very important. Uh, and again, uh, miscalculation, I think, at all levels of government that this yeah. thing was going to actually go forward. I agree with you on that. We'll see if they have any. If maybe Horgan has something to say about yeah, that well, this yeah, afternoon. You know, and to put it in context, this hundred million dollar announcement uh, this morning. The tourism industry was looking for six hundred million dollars. If you, if you recall at the beginning, this is how big. I mean, the tourism industry is huge—a fifteen billion dollar industry in, in BC, arguably bigger than forestry, and so many jobs dependent upon dependent upon it. And a hundred million dollars helps, but it's certainly not n- anywhere near what the industry is looking for. Okay, let's talk about the BC Liberal leadership and former Liberal Finance Minister Kevin Falcon. The worst kept secret last night. He makes it official. He's running for the Liberal mm-hmm. leadership. He was my first guest on the show this morning, and we had kind of a wide-ranging interview about stuff, but one of the things I asked him, he, he said last night he wants to change the name mm-hmm. of the Liberal Party, and I asked him why does he want to do that, and here's what he told me. One of the things I've heard, whether they're federal Liberal supporters, whether they're federal Conservatives, whether they're lapsed NDP supporters, all of them have said that they want to get beyond the name that, that, in, you know, that, that ties us to any one of the established parties. We want to have a name that reflects the biggest possible tent. Okay, I think he also wants to sort of cut his own connections with previous liberal governments, does yeah, he not? I think he wants to completely rebrand the party and yeah. uh, really cut ties with, with the past in, in all aspects. He wants to really put new faces out there, new images, a uh, new brand. But it's going to be interesting what name, um, if they actually follow this route, who knows, but if what name they go to. I think there's a lot of potential alternative names that have already been registered their like domains. The, Br- the british columbia party i think, that's already, I think is already a party already yeah so many of them have their domains have already been registered and yeah. uh, it's going to be a challenge to come up with a name that uh, again reflects the fact that it, the reality is it was it's a free enterprise coalition that's what it's you know the unofficial name of it's been whether it was the social credit party or the bc liberal party it's a coming together of conservative and liberal elements together in common cause uh, and they just, you know, circumstances dictated what the name was. So, Socred, the Social Credit Party, was hijacked by W.A.C. Bennett as this fledgling little party that he saw as a vehicle to power. It had nothing to do with social credit, the philosophy of it, but it was the name of the party for a number of years, and it was sort of a, a bizarre name that yeah. really meant nothing to anyone. But the fact is, they held power because they had common interests. The, the BC Liberals, same thing. Yeah. Just an accident that Gordon Wilson suddenly became uh, the leader of the opposition, and then Gordon Campbell was able to take over the BC Liberal Party, even though they weren't really BC Liberals. Okay, Kevin Falcon, the obvious front runner for the job. I think he's oh, obviously yeah. the person to win, and very likely will win and become the next Liberal leader. The NDP already on the attack against them, saying, just reminding people, this is the guy who supported the HST. This mm-hmm. is the guy who put tolls on the bridges. This is the guy who uh, cut taxes for the wealthiest British Columbians. You know, so he's got a lot of baggage there that he's going to have to explain. Well, he's got their attention. 
Well, yeah, for sure. And I went over some of that stuff with him this morning. It was kind of interesting to hear him say, not backing down from his support on the HST, for I've example, but de- saying he's not going to bring it back, but he still supports it. I detect a little more nervousness on the NDP's part than they exhibited towards Andrew Wilkinson. I don't think they really ever took Andrew Wilkinson seriously as a threat to them, but Falcon is seen as someone who came from a successful government, who was re- which was reelected several times. As controversial, controversial as he was, he still was able to point to things that he did, such as building the Canada Line, the Portman Bridge, um, presiding over the healthcare system. He did do some things that are controversial, but again, he's got the attention of the NDP in a way that Andrew Wilkinson never He's did. also been out of public life for like eight years, and maybe that's not a bad thing if, mm-hmm. if people you know a lot of people have got long memories about politics but you know there's maybe younger people who don't remember don't, those don't, yeah don't don't uh, remember no one of his challenges is he's got a lot of attention yesterday and today because it's his launch now though he risks going into a black hole for a long yeah. time because uh, politics really doesn't dominate things right now it's hard to see a leadership race uh, unfold when you can't actually have a leadership race there's no meetings there's no campaigns there's no rallies there's no, no all candidate debates yeah. everything's virtual and this is a long race i mean it goes into yeah. the next year so he's going to struggle to be heard i think uh, for a long time but you know he's got time time is on his side the next election isn't for a number of years and by the time the next election rolls around we're going to be out of this pandemic He's likely going to have a seat in the House. I'm not sure what the entry point's going to be. Probably a, North, a West Van or North Van seat or West Side of Vancouver. Yeah. Um, but again, he's got time. He doesn't need to do that right he now. He lives but on the North Shore, I believe, right? He does. Um, but like I say, he's getting a lot of attention today. Uh, he, he disappears into a black hole for a long time. Okay, let's talk about the pandemic and uh, some of the latest numbers. And Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday had some interesting things to say, specifically about variants of COVID-19. Specifically the Indian variant. Yes, and whether that could be a threat to people who have already been vaccinated Mm -hmm. or at least got the first shot. Here's what she had to say about that yesterday, Dr. Bonnie Henry. And the more people that are infected, the more times it reproduces, the more chances that it's going to, a new mutation is going to arise that might give it some competitive advantage. And we've seen that most recently in India, sadly. And that's where the worry is that a a variant could arise, a strain could arise that's transmitted more easily. That's what happens first. But as more people are being immunized, we might see a strain that is uh, able to infect people who've been uh, partially protected or have been protected from vaccine. Okay, it's always something. So, yeah, this is is one that's been sitting out there in the horizon. Um, B16172 is the Indian variant first discovered in India. It's ravaged India. It's also now playing, it's surging in the UK, which is starting to open up. 75% of the population uh, vaccinated with at least one dose. But the uh, Indian variant, the B1617, is infecting people who have already been uh, vaccinated. Now, we're seeing this in, in BC. We had a report last week that about 1,400 people, 1,500 people who'd been vaccinated with uh, one of the vaccines still got COVID-19, albeit vast majority, very mild cases, but 30 people died, uh, all of them very old. old uh, 30 people died who had been vaccinated? Yeah, over the age of 80. Oh. Um, again, because uh, you've got underlying health conditions. If you're 80 years old plus, your vaccine, your immune system is just simply not as strong as it is younger. So the oh. vaccine doesn't protect you as strongly. But we're seeing the front page of the Guardian newspaper in London today is uh, uh, 
the variant surge is threatening the opening of the lockdown, and that is significant in the UK. If it's happening in the UK, it could happen in BC, which is why you heard Dr. Henry. That was in response to a question of mine about how concerned are we with the um, this particular variant of concern. It's now been elevated to a variant of concern by the World Health Organization. It was a variant of interest last week. Now it's a mm-hmm. variant of concern late last week. 306 cases as of Friday. Uh, not a lot, but it can get a lot more. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll open the phone lines like we do every day. So if you want to weigh in on anything we touched about there, we've got the tourism assistance coming later this morning. Do you think the government should be bailing out the PNE? You want to see your tax dollars go to that? Kevin Falcon for Liberal Leader. What do you think of this guy? Would you vote for him? 604. 604- 280-9898 is the number. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on yourselves. Baldry's Beat. This is Mike Smith. Back with your calls. All right. Welcome back to the show. Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, your calls to him. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Marianne in Victoria. Hi. Oh, hi. Hi, Keith and Mike. So, I, I read this article a few months ago about the ferries, about the, the cruise ships possibly being able to bypass uh, Victoria, and I was really worried about it. And my sister works in the industry, and, you know, Victoria's totally locked into the cruise ships, supply chains, employment, mm-hmm. small business. And it, it's so frustrating that the federal and provincial governments have dropped the ball on this. But what's also frustrating is our own Victoria Council, who I, I cannot believe we still have this crew running the show, <laughs> have said nothing. You know why? Because they want to shut down the cruise industry yeah, in yep, Victoria. It's yep. so frustrating. Yep. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's an environmental movement against the cruise ship business, and I think that the Victoria City Council, large portions of it are captured by that well, lobby, y- Vancouver City Council, this provincial government as well. They have not stood up adequately to defend and protect this industry, which is under you, threat. You had Barry Penner on, who's yeah. representing the cruise industry earlier this week. I talked to Barry a couple months ago, who expressed total uh, frustration with Victoria City Council as he tried to make the argument, look, this is a huge economic benefit to, the, to your city. And uh, you're turning a blind eye to it. In fact, you're you're being aggressively uh, trying to block the industry from coming in. So it's uh, Victoria City Council is out of whack with the rest of the population. It's, it's, it's very the other, the other thing that they're trying to say, the, the way they're trying to spin it now is that, okay, the Americans are saying, well, screw you guys. We're, we're not really going to skip BC and just sail straight to Alaska. We're not even going to stop in Vancouver anymore. And you got people like Horgan saying, well, it's just temporary. Once once the pandemic is over, they'll start stopping here. No. That's not totally guaranteed. No, not at all. Okay? Not at all. And there's also people who say, well, block them from using the inside passage. People don't realize that when a BC ferry leaves the Tawasin uh, terminal, it is immediately, almost immediately, in American waters. If you want tit for tat, you start yeah, blocking cruise ships, there. you're going to start blocking ferries. Let's go to Sean on the line in North Van. Hey, Sean. Morning, gentlemen. Uh, just on the topic of whether I would vote for Kevin Falk, and um, not in a million years, it was on his watch, and it was his government's policies that aided and embedded organized crime um, all through the money laundering years. Uh, as well, it was the BC Liberals who had intervener status to prevent the RCMP from forming a union. So I don't think any of these things are helpful to our province, and we can see the results right now in the gang conflict. 
Okay, well, thank you for the call. Well, Horg, or Falcon's been out of politics since 2013, so he's well, escaped know, kind of the worst. The caller speaks to the reason Falcon wants to change the name. He wants to, yeah, as yeah. we said, he wants to disassociate himself as much as possible with the history of the party, because as much as they got reelected, over time, a sort of a stench started to encircle that party, and there's, there's the downsides outweighed the upsides at the end of their reign. Let's go to Jeff in Vancouver. Hey, Jeff. Good morning, uh, uh, you guys. Uh, uh, Keith, I love what you said yesterday about uh, Kevin Falcon. I wasn't that open to him, but after hearing you, I thought, well, okay, we'll see what he says at 7 p.m. last night. And then, uh, Mike, I heard him with you uh, this morning uh, just after 9.05, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is... Oh, my God, this is like the Hatfields and McCoys. It's like back to the bad old days of, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, fist fighting and NDP and uh, liberals uh, down in the gutters going at it in a, in a no-holds barred. Oh, my God, I don't know if I can, I can stand the way he was this morning. Uh, it, it just feels like we're, we're taking a step backwards with, uh, with, uh, with his performance, at least this morning. Okay, thanks for the well, call. You know, if we if we go back to polarized politics, which is uh, we sort of have drifted away from that for the last little while with yeah. the emergence of the Green Party. If it's if it's a one side or the other, that generally favors the center right in in BC. It doesn't favor the NDP. But uh, did the last election reflect a new reality of the electoral map in BC that uh, the the grounds have shifted in the suburbs of of uh, Metro Vancouver in the NDP's favor? The other I've got to call them out this week on the redistribution. That's about to come up. More than almost, uh, well, as many as six more seats added that are likely to be added in NDP-friendly territory. 